Uh, that's an awesome testimony. Thank you, Drea. And what she forgot to say was when God showed her it was a special day, it was that girl's 17th birthday, right? That was the little detail that she messed up. That was what God was showing. It was an important day for her. So that's what, when she found out what it was, just because I know you missed that detail. I'll help you out, sis. All right. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Well, you know, it's the beginning of the year. Hopefully some of you have set some goals. Two of you? Good. Okay. <laughs> Well, you, you know, this is the time of the year where most people write down some decrees and some goals and some hopes and maybe what God is showing you or what you envisioned over your life for this year or maybe in five years to come and all of that good stuff. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, have you ever considered that the single biggest obstacle that you face in achieving your goals is you? You are your greatest obstacle. Like, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Because what you believe, think, and say about yourself and your life will determine how you live it, how you spend it, and how happy you are doing it. It's true. Uh, you know, a little bit about myself. I was uh, fortunate enough to grow up with parents who uh, not only believed in God, but trusted in the scriptures, trusted what the Bible said, and they taught us from a young age that we could trust what God says over our lives, and that uh, whatever we do with God, nothing will be impossible. And one of the earliest scriptures they taught us to speak over our lives, and the scriptures that my brother and I memorized was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And I am more than a conqueror through him who's, who loved me. So these are, they also encouraged us to write down goals for our lives and decrees. If you don't know what a decree is in the scripture, it says, if you shall decide and a decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. So it's in the scripture. Uh, you might call it a, a, a confession that you say over your life. Uh, the world today has coined its own term, an affirmation. That's the the key word floating around these days, affirmations, people are like, well, affirmations. I'm like, well, it was in the Bible. It's called a decree, okay? So don't be thinking you came up with something new, people, okay? So by 10 years old, I, I had written down my, my little goals in my own handwriting. I had nine goals, and I wrote them down, my decrees and my wants, and I put them by my bed, and I would read them every night before I went to bed out loud, because that's what you have to do. You have to read it out loud. And then I would lay down right before I go to bed, and that was the last thing I would think about before I closed my eyes. And I did this for years, okay? Hence the fact that I can remember what my goals were and my, my decrees. You want to hear what they were? Can I give an eye? Remember, I was 10, okay? Number one, I have lots of friends. Number two, I do well in school. Number three, all my teachers like me. Number four, my friends I bring to church will get saved and love Jesus. Spiritual goals. <clears throat> I was, a side note, I was quite a little evangelist when I was a kid. Um, I would tell my dad, we have to pick up so-and-so and Delia and Amy on the way to church so they can come to children's church with me. And so my brother and I, and we would stop because our church was 20 minutes away from where we lived. Um, and so my friends, we would stop at one house. They'd come and get in the car. We'd stop at the next house. They'd get in the car, you know, with my brother and I with these kids and <clears throat> my girlfriends. And we'd off we go to children's church. And uh, then one day, my dad got a call from the principal. And uh, he said that 
I had to stop inviting my friends to children's church. And my dad was like, why? And he said, because Cindy's saying that if they don't go to children's church with her, they're going to hell. <laughs> Oops. Well, at least my friends got saved, so I don't know about your friends, but my friends are going to heaven. No, uh, my evangelism has changed since then. But um, anyway, so where was I? Number four. So then number five was I'm the best dancer in my dancing school. I was a dancer. Number six, I will travel the world. Number seven, I'll be a millionaire by 30. <laughs> at that time, I thought 30 was so old <laughs> that I would definitely have time to make it by then, you know? Uh, number eight, I will live in Hollywood one day. I didn't know, people. I grew up in South Africa. If you don't know, I grew up in South Africa. That's why we were like, what? And I'll marry an American. <clears throat> my, dad, my dad will tell you this. When I was a kid, I would say so much that I'm going to live in America. I'm going to live in West Hollywood. That my dad, my dad actually said, he goes, I think you actually brought us to America with your confession. Like, you brought the whole family with you. It's true. That's what I used to say. You know, as the years went by, I actually achieved everything on that list. Before I was 30 years old, I was a millionaire, not by money in the bank millionaire, but I owned two homes. I was traveling the world selling art as an art auctioneer. I was making, at that time, $200,000 a year. So my first condo I ever bought was a penthouse one block off Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. All of those decrees converged, and little did I know when I look back later, Wow, I achieved everything that I set out to on that list. <clears throat> and I married an American. <laughs> goals just keep getting hit. But see, I know you look at them and you're like, man, well, my goals were pretty basic, you know. But uh, at least it was something. Because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Today, my, my decrees and my goals are very different because I, I think the closer you walk with Jesus, the more your goals and wants and needs and desires change and begin to align with His heart. And in the same breath, God wants us to stretch ourselves. He needs you to get out of your small thinking and stretch yourself because He's actually got things for you to do on this earth with the talents that He's given specifically to you to touch people and do things. Um, Pastor Yonggi Cho, um, he passed away just about two years ago now. He, when he passed away, he had the largest church in America with one million people attending on a Sunday in Korea. In, uh, sorry, I, say, I mean, he had the largest church in the world, sorry, in the world, but his church was in Korea. One million people attending on a Sunday. And let me just tell you, he was, his church wasn't, um, can I use the term city church? No. His church, many times in the middle of the, t uh, the meeting, he'd say, everybody stand up, let's pray in the Spirit for a minute. Let's begin praying. At, they would seat 50,000 people at one time. Can you imagine 50,000 people praying in tongues? They used to have to ring a gong on the stage for everybody to stop because they couldn't hear it. He operated in the word of knowledge. They had signs, wonders, and miracles. So this wasn't a little city church. This was spirit-filled, Holy Spirit kind of church, biggest church in the world. But he started out in poverty. He started with only two or three people in his church. And God told him something that the same thing he told Andrew Womack. God said to him one day, he said, you are limiting me with your small thinking. 
You are limiting me with your small thinking. What? God can be limited? In your life, He can be. Can you imagine that what God has got planned for your life can be limited by you and by your thinking? So what I'm going to share with you today, I've lived, I've seen work, uh, because it's really the way God designed us. It's the way He expects us to operate and He expects us to live. So what I'm sharing can have an effect on the rest of your life, no matter what age you are, whether you choose to embrace it and do it or whether you don't, the principle still works. Either you control it or it will control you. So my first step in this is called imagination. And it's interesting that dad had it in the offering. It, imagination, it's the thinking step, people. The dictionary says that imagination is the ability to picture something in your mind or in your heart that you can't see with your eyes. I'm not talking about fantasy world, like, oh, I want to be Superman. If I said the word dog, <clears throat> what do you picture? Probably if you have a dog, you pictured your dog. If you don't have a dog and you know me, you probably pictured my dog because she goes everywhere, right? See how you imagine your, your mind didn't see the word dog, D-O-G, it saw a dog, right? Because that's your imagination working. You use your imagination actually all of the time, and it's in the Bible many places. I'm just going to read one. Genesis chapter 11, verses 5. This is when they were building the tower uh, of Babel. Remember, they'd gotten together and they were building this huge tower. They wanted to reach heaven. <clears throat> but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they imagine to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they imagine to do will be impossible for them. You know, the, the Old Testament's originally written in Hebrew, not in English. So that word they imagine in the Hebrew language is yetzer. Yetzer, the definition for yetzer is actually conception. It means to conceive. But it has multiple uh, understandings of that word, and yetzer is translated five times in the Old Testament into imagination. And one time where it is seen in Scripture, it is translated mind. I'm going to read that Scripture. You know that Scripture in Isaiah, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Okay, you know the Scripture. That word, mind, is actually yetzer. So that scripture could say, God, he will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on him. Why does that matter? Because you're trusting God for something. You're believing for a breakthrough. You need, you need the deal to go through in your business. You come forward. You ask us to pray with you. You have the faith. You pray. We believe it's done. You go out. You get in your car. You're driving home. Now your imagination starts to play. Well, if it doesn't come through, okay, I'm going to have to sell the car. I'll, I can try and get a second on the house, and I can see what it will do. See your imagination working against you. But now what happens with that imagination rail tra trail, now here comes the anxiety. And now you can't sleep all night. And you're like, I don't understand. I went forward. I got prayer. Why isn't God doing anything? Because God said he will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on him. But you've let your imagination go wherever it wanted to. So you, it's important to understand that you have to control your imagination and where it goes. 
Um, you've heard the, you've probably heard the quote or read it in the scriptures where it says, as you think, so shall you become. It's in, uh, Solomon said it first in the Proverbs, what you think about yourself, you'll become. Then my childhood hero said it best in this quote, Bruce Lee. And if you don't know who Bruce Lee is, go home and watch some movies. He's the reason I became a black belt in karate. So what you believe about yourself is what and who you are today. What you've believed about yourself is what and who you are right now today. Whatever limits you have in your imagination has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, when we're kids, we believe we can do anything, right? We feel we're so talented. We can run, we can try, run, we can become anything we want to do. We feel the world is our oyster. But then as you begin to grow up, you face setbacks and you face disappointments and tragedies. And, and, and you have a horrible boss who belittles you and then fires you, or you get divorced, or you have a parent that withholds any love and affection from you. And what it does is your self-image takes a beating. And you begin to think less of yourself. You begin to think less of God. You begin to believe less and less is possible. And you start telling people, listen, I live in the real world. I'm not a dreamer. Let's just face the facts, okay? I live in reality. Sound familiar? And now, you have all these limiting beliefs about yourself, and then you sit around wondering, God, why aren't you doing more in my life? God, why isn't my business prospering? Why isn't this happening? Why aren't I healed? Why well, don't I have that, that husband or that wife? God, why aren't you doing more in my life? Because not even God can override your will. See, you might think you want something, but if you can't imagine yourself doing it, you can never achieve it. It's actually said you will never do something that you can't imagine. Do you know that? It's actually proven that if you can't imagine yourself doing something, you can't actually ever do it. Everything starts in your mind. Do you know that? Including sin. Think about it. Somebody commits adultery. They were thinking about it first. You didn't just, oh no, how did I end up in bed with somebody? What just happened? I didn't see that coming. No, there was a thought process. Okay? The same thing with people that are victory, victorious and win. If you speak to any professional athlete that's won in their life, especially like a gold medalist, they'll tell you that if perhaps it's running track or it's a race, that they would close their eyes and they would imagine the race from the start to the finish, going over every hurdle, all the way through, crossing the finish line, winning, standing on the box, getting the medal. They put themselves imagination all the way through running the race to win, otherwise they will never be able to win it. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. Maybe you're older in your life and you're thinking, oh, I don't need to really write goals or have a dream or have a vision. What, you know, what, why? Well, because the scripture tells you to. Without a vision, people perish. See, if you stop being creative, you are going to perish. Because not being, if you don't have a vision, if you're not being creative, you don't have something you're looking forward to, basically it doesn't mean you're going to die. It means you're going to live without anything worth living for. 
The Holy Spirit says this. He says he's going to give young men visions and old men dreams. Why would the Holy Spirit say that? Because visions and dreams are in your imagination. He knows, Lord knows how important it is for young men to have visions and for old men to still have dreams, still have that imagination, still have something that God wants to do with you. He, no he notes it in the scripture that it's important. When God came to Abram and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Your descendants are going to be as much as, the, as much as you're going to fill the earth. Abram had no children. Sarah, his wife, they had no children. He was pushing 100. She was pushing 90. So what does God do? God takes him outside, says, look up at the stars. Now, we live in the city, okay? We don't have the same. We have houses we go in at night. But Abram, they lived in a tent out in the middle of the desert. So most nights, I imagine, they were sitting around a campfire with hundreds of stars, thousands, millions of stars available to them. And so God says, look up at the stars. He's like, yep. That's how many children your descendants will be. Wow. Then the next day he's out and he says, look at the sand. Feel the sand in your sandals? Because we all wear shoes, we walk on concrete, we don't get that. But he had sandals on, walked in the sand every single day. God says, feel the sand between your toes, see the sand? That's, your, that's how many kids you're going to have. That's how many descendants you're going to have. What did God do? He gave him a picture. He made him use his imagination. Now every single night he sat out by the campfire and he looked up and he went, he started to see faces on the stars and descendants and generations. And every morning he woke up and he put his feet in the sand. He began to see. And so what happened is he began to believe it. It began to be conceived, that word conception. It began like a woman conceives a child in a womb. He began to conceive it in his imagination. And it began to restore and rejuvenate his body, including Sarah's. It began to reverse the aging process so that she could have a child. You know the story, if you read it in Abraham, like they, they're traveling and they get to that city and the king and Abraham lies and says, hey, my wife's my sister because he doesn't want her killed. The king wants to take her for his concubine. People, she's pushing 90. Because she had been rejuvenated. She had been restored. Because the conception of the idea that I'm going to have a child literally reversed the biological clock. Do you understand why God says you need to conceive it in your heart, in your mind? When I was an auctioneer uh, selling art, I used to sit down and before I'd ever sold a piece for $30,000, I would take time when I was alone to close my eyes and I would imagine myself putting this piece of art on the easel and doing the pitch and then I would imagine saying, do I have the first opportunity at 30,000? I would imagine a hand going up in the air and me slamming down the gavel. All the excitement and all the feelings I would feel as that piece was officially sold. When I sold a $30,000 piece, I then began to imagine a $60,000, a $80,000, $100,000 piece. And I would go through this in my mind. Why? Because I was building an expectation and training myself to believe that it was possible. Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever sold art on a cruise ship, you're thinking, mm, in the natural, we're on a cruise ship, people. Who's going to spend hundred grand on a piece of art? That's what you think, right? I began to expect it so much so that when I put that piece on the easel and no hand went up, I was shocked. I was so expectant that it was going to happen, I was surprised. That's faith. 
Faith is not just believing something. Faith is expecting it so much you could taste it. How did it not? I'm just so, so surprised right now that this just didn't happen. That's the level of faith. One day I had a piece on the easel for $76,000. And uh, this lady walked in. She'd been at the pool. She was literally in her bathing suit with a towel tied around her. She happened to come in right as I began talking about this artist. She stood for 10 minutes as I did the biography on this artist. And then I said, first opportunity at $76,000. And her hand went up in the air. And I was just double making sure that, you know, is she waving down the champagne? Like, is she really bidding? I asked again, she kept her hand up. All the way through, boom, sold. She came down, met me afterwards, shook hands. An official sale went through, no questions asked, $76,000 in her bathing suit. But I had mentally prepared, I had put it out there so that I could imagine that's going to happen one day. And that's what it means to be in so much faith, expecting something, fully, fully expecting it. Uh, you might have heard this story before. There was um, a pastor's wife who had began to lose her vision and she was almost entirely blind. Many people had tried to pray for her but she didn't get her healing. And then they had a healing evangelist come to their, to their uh, church who operated in the gifts. And the whole time she was kind of avoiding him. And on the last day he was there, he said, I wanna pray for you, come here. So he began to pray for her eyes. And when, she, when he was done praying, he says, um, can you see? And so she began to open her eyes and he goes, shut your eyes. I didn't tell you to open your eyes. So she's like, Okay. He's like, can you see? And she's like, she starts opening her eyes again. He goes, shut your eyes. I didn't tell you to open your eyes. She's like, so confused. She's like, you're telling me to see, but you're telling me not to open my eyes. He said, no, you need to see yourself seeing before you will see. And she got it. She began to pray in the spirit and she began to use her imagination or heart. And she began to see herself seeing. And she says, I can see. And he said, now open your eyes. And her, her vision was 100% restored. See, God is saying that you need to be able to see with your heart, with your imagination. You have to see it on the inside before you'll see it on the outside. Some of you are believing for a healing or, or something that you're trusting God for. And you need to imagine what does that feel like? What does it look like? What will it feel like when I'm healed? What will I be able to do? What will I be able to weigh? What will be, what, what, where will I go? What feeling will I have? Can you, your entire body needs to feel this, needs to imagine it. Maybe you're really trusting God for, for a newer car. Can you smell the new leather? What color is it? Can you feel your hair blowing in the new sunroof that you've got? Can you see it? Can you imagine it? This is what you have to do. And you know, perhaps God is calling you to do something, but until you can see yourself doing it, you'll never do it. And trust me, God never asks you to do something that's within your realm of, yep, this is no problem. I can just take a step and do it. Every time God asks you to do something, you're like, what? No, you must be, th you must be thinking about Pastor Cindy, not me. <laughs> no, no, no. Lay hands on the sick. What? Uh, yeah, I know it's in the Bible, but say, what now? Can I just take her to Pastor Cindy, let her pray? God's like, no, you pray. And some of you are so afraid of praying for somebody else, you need to take some time and start imagining yourself praying for somebody. And the miracle happening. You need to picture this in your mind. You've got testimonies. You know, the Bible says that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You need to be able to come up here and share a testimony like Drea did. And you're like, no, no, Cindy, don't you know the number one fear of people is speaking on a microphone? 
I'm like, don't you know that perfect love costs out fear? Do you think when you get to heaven and Jesus says, so what did you do? Did you tell everybody your testimony of the goodness that I did in your life? You're like, God, don't you know me? I'm so afraid of public speaking. And he's like, do you think I care? Didn't my perfect love cost out fear? Use your imagination. Spend some time and be like, God, I want to give a testimony of your goodness and your glory. So I'm going to take this weekend every single day. I'm going to imagine myself standing on that stage, sharing my testimony to the glory of God without any nerves and out any fear. And I'm telling you, if you do that every day, by Sunday, you'll be jumping out of your skin ready to tell your testimony because that's the way God created you. He created you to overcome. He created you to dream bigger and to do it. Now, when you start to set these goals, you've got to be specific about them. Make sure they align with the Word of God. The second point is speaking, okay? First point is imagination. Second point is speaking. Don't worry, I've only got two points, so we're good. Words have a profound suggestive power. Do you know that? That the words you speak have a direct effect on your thoughts and your emotions. I want you to say these words. Say stressed. Say anxious. Say miserable. Like your face literally changed ugly when you said that, you know that? You can almost feel your heart rate starting to change. Like you're like, oh, I'm starting to not feel so good. Now say the word happy. You can't even say it without smiling. The words and the tone you use, you can either make yourself nervous, high strung, or happy just by the basicness of the words. Now, there's so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about this, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to use one. Proverbs 18, 21. It says, The tongue can speak words that bring life or death, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. The Bible is true, so God's word is true. So that means... What you say can have an effect on your life. You can choose to control your mouth and decide to speak words filled with happiness, peace, success, health, and by doing so, reap the rewards of that because this is a principle that God designed. Whether you believe it or not, it's kind of like gravity. You can either accept it, trust it, master it, or you'll be a victim of it. You know, Tiger Woods used this principle since he was seven years old. Imagination and speaking it out. The world has been doing this, folks. They figure it out. Motivational speakers, they figure out these kinds of things. They apply these principles that actually came from the Bible. People say to me, oh, isn't that New Age? I'm like, wait, New Age that began in 1970? Do you know when the Bible was written? People come up to me, oh, 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 you're, oh, so you're a big fan of The Secret. No, 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 The Secret's a big fan of me. People tell you all the time, I see it on social media, oh my gosh, is your church teaching affirmations? Sweetie, the world stole it from us. Read your Bible. The Bible is full of decrees and speak to the mountain. Come on, understand who said it first. They're copying us. The world doesn't come up with anything new or creative. Anything they do that becomes a success, you should be like, oh, God told them already. God already told us that. Like, really, you're just figuring that out? All they've done is remove God from the equation and use the universe. Do me a favor. Okay. Back to my sermon. So you need to speak out your goals and your decrees out loud. 
You can, you can also cancel out negative things in your life if it's negative. The scripture we use for this is Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Jesus says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for him. People think he was being metaphorical. He wasn't. If you read the scripture in context, he was being like, for real, like tell this mountain, go and it'll go, go jump in the sea. Cause he was saying, speak to your problem and tell it to go. Don't speak to God about your problem. You speak to the problem. You speak to the credit card and call it paid in Jesus name. You speak to your book that you're writing, call it a success. You speak to your business and say, you will be a success in the name of Jesus. He said, speak to, the, um, to what you want. And if you believe it, it will happen. If you can imagine it, it will happen. That's the way God created us in his image. This is how he does things, folks. Just make sure your goals are aligned with the word of God, okay? You know, whatever you're trusting God for, God wants you to have a good job. He wants you to have your needs met. He wants you to be in health. He wants you to have a little extra. You're like, well, well, how do you know that? Because there's a world out there that he wants you to reach. And if every month you're only praying for yourself, God, please meet my rent. Can you help me pay my rent? And he's like, that's great. But can you give anything else to the kingdom? Who can you help if you're so consumed? If you have to work six days a week just to support for your family, he's like, wow, I would have really hoped you could have used that day to go feed the homeless or maybe run a life group or maybe go minister to somebody. If you're so consumed with your own needs, how can you ever be concerned with his needs? So yes, believe God for what you want, but check your heart motives while you're writing your goals. Just check your heart motives. Make sure they line up with the word of God. It's okay to trust God for, for a husband or a wife, as long as you don't already have one, okay? And then make your goals and your prayer requests specific. Make your goals and your prayer requests specific. Because otherwise, how are you going to know when God meets them? People put this down. Well, God, or this is your prayer request or your, or your goal. God, I need more money. God, I need more money. You come to church next Sunday, somebody hands you five bucks. Clearly, obviously not enough, right? You get at the end of the month, you're like, God, where were you? I used my faith. I used my decrees. God's like, what are you talking about? I gave you five bucks. I did answer your prayer. You said you wanted more money. I gave you more money. God wants the glory. He wants to be the good daddy in your life for you to see that he was in your life. But the way it's going to happen is if you say, God, I need $2,000 for my rent. Plus I need to be able to tithe groceries, this, this. God, we're at this amount of money, 3,000. God, I'm trusting you. This is the amount I'm giving, I'm tithing. At the end of the month, when 3,500 comes in, you're like, woo, 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 woo. You're like, Cindy, I got, got a testimony for you. God not only gave, but he going over and above what I asked for. Specific, specific goals so you can see God come through. You might have huge things you're believing God for right now, and I get that, but have some smaller ones. Have some ones so that you can actually see that God is with you day in and day out. Day in and day out, God, I need this gas to last me all the way to my home and back and back again. And I just need you to extend this gas. I don't care what you're believing for, but start trusting God and seeing him so you can give him the glory day in and day out. You know, unfortunately, my story, um, when I was doing so well financially back in 2006, I wasn't married 
to my amazing, financially savvy real estate guru of a husband. At the time, I was in a relationship with someone that convinced me to make a host of bad financial decisions, which at the same time, the housing market crashed in 2000, by 2008. Um, I was left with $60,000 worth of credit card debt, completely broke and lost my properties. And if you've ever had credit card debt, that 20% interest, whew, that'll hurt you. And because the market crashed, what I sold, art, was a luxury. Nobody wanted to buy a luxury item because the market had crashed. Nobody was buying. So I went from what I used to make to earning less than a third of what I was making before. Plus now in debt, broke, and all these other things. So in my desperation, I, I went to my dad and I said, can you help me? And he said, I'm going to pay, I'm going to loan you this money, I'm going to pay the $60,000 credit card debt for you to get out under, from under the 20% interest that's swallowing you up. But we're going to sign a document right here and now and you're going to pay me back. And I said, yes. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch myself and I'm going to believe God, I'm going to pay you back in six months. So we signed a paper. And then I went before God and I repented for my foolishness. See, some of you have to repent for your foolishness. You're in situations right now, and if you look back, you got nobody blame but yourself. And you want to be like, God, where are you? And God's like, mm. <clears throat> I knew. I knew my part. So I repented before God. And I, God, forgive me for this. Help me. And then I did what I've always known to do, and I found a scripture where God promises me he'd help me. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 7 to 13, I only have time to read portion of this, but I encourage you to read even from, from 5 and 6. But just for the, the portion of this, it says, So let each one give, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That means favor. All favor abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I had that entire scripture memorized from 6 all the way through 13. I encourage you to get it out. If finances is something you believe in God for, put it on. But see, the beginning of this scripture never takes something out of context. The beginning from verse 5 talks about being a cheerful giver. It says, if you're a cheerful giver, God loves it. It's all about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, the thing about me is I knew I was always been a tither and always been a cheerful giver. So I knew I was doing my part so I could trust God to do his part. And I put this scripture everywhere and I began to say it. And I began to confess it. And I began to decree it out, out, out loud. All, every day, all day, until that scripture was the only thing coming out of my mouth all day long. And then I began to say, that debt is paid in Jesus' name. $60,000, you are paid in Jesus' name. I have favor. Everything I do, that debt is paid. With the economy crash, making what I was making, even with the cost that I had to have to still live, I paid my dad back in six months. And he's sitting right there to testify. Because of God's principles, because using your imagination, setting your goal, trusting, believing God, using the scripture, trusting that no matter what, God is going to come through because I fully can see this being taken care of. If you're ready to see a change in your life, 
I don't know, whatever change that might be. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe some of you need a new identity. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to stop your stinking thinking because you have done nothing but limit yourself. You've limited God in your life because of the way you think of yourself. You have to begin to dream. You have to begin to stretch yourself. You know the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. You want to please God? It is impossible without faith. You should be using your faith every single day. Like I said, whether it's to help you get more gas or whether it's to, to, to earn more, whether you want to see somebody be healed. Like if you want to pray for somebody to, to be healed, then start believing, seeing in your eye, God, I'm going to pray for somebody with a headache and it's going to go in your name right away. I'm going to pray for somebody with a tumor and I'm going to feel it disappear. Imagine it in your mind and then you'll do it. You have to have these goals, these imagination. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's a dream, whatever it is, and you have to fully engage what, with what God's wanting to do in your life. You have to align with Him. As I close, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31 and, uh, to 33, it says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. He says, but seek first. What do you do first? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. What is he saying? God knows what you need. He doesn't want you to even worry about that kind of stuff. He says, seek first. What does that mean to truly seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? His righteousness. God, I'm leaving all that sinful life behind me. I'm done with that. I want you, God. I want all of you. I want all of you. What does it look like to bring your kingdom to earth, God, so people can get to know the real you, the loving, compassionate, merciful God that they haven't been introduced to? God, well, I want to seek your kingdom. What does it look like when you write your goals? Maybe it's time to start including some spiritual goals in there. Maybe you've never read the Bible and it's time to pick up and start reading. Start reading in the New Testament, Matthew. Maybe you're going to have a goal that I'm going to read the whole New Testament this year. Or I'm going to read one chapter a day. I'm going to bring one friend to church every month. Or you know what, I'm going to pray for somebody who's sick every single month, God. That's my goal. And you're like, well, I didn't, I'm not part of the healing ministry. You work, don't you? You're telling me I'm around people. I see people all the time. You go to work and, you know, they'll be like, oh, man, my knee is just really bothering me. I twisted it when I was hiking. You know what? I, I believe God heals. He's a, he's a healing God. Can I pray for your leg? And then you just reach down. And you start praying. You confess. If you want to know how to do that, come see me afterwards. I'll tell you what to say. It's pretty simple. You pray and then that's it. What happens if it doesn't heal? That's not on you. That's on God. He said, go out and heal the sick, lay hands on them, raise the dead, cast out demons. Folks, it should be in your goals. It should be in your list. You want to know if you're truly seeking his kingdom first? What's your heart's motivation? Is it for his kingdom or for your kingdom? When you look at your goals, what do you see? What do you see of your life? Your kingdom or his kingdom? And I don't want to contradict myself because I know you need both. If you're in sales or commissions, you need to have those goals. You need to have those decrees. So hear me. You need to have a balance. God understands that. But you also need to have your spiritual goals set out. 
Because God needs you right now to rise up and be who he's called you to be because he's got things that only you can do in your life, people only you can reach, only miracles. He wants to get the glory in every single area. It's not just about on Sunday. It's in the workplace. That's when you should be like, oh, God, is there somebody sick here today? I can pray for them. Pray for them. And they get healed. God gets the glory. Then you can tell them about Jesus. What a great way to tell someone about Jesus is to pray for them, for their healing. <clears throat> Today, my decrees are very different. My, uh, my, my prayers are very different because when I look back even at my life, I see, God, I see God's goodness in my life. Today, I, I decree that the promise is a house of prayer. Today, I decree that the promise is a house of worship, that the promise is a house of miracles, that the promise is a house where the Holy Spirit reigns, where the Spirit of God comes to rest, where the glory of God is so thick that people run to the altar because they want to know this Jesus. I decree that the people of the promise walk in their authority, that they know who they are in Jesus and that they're reaching the city and this nation for God. I decree that I have a healthy, passionate, successful marriage. I decree that my body is the body and the temple of the Holy Spirit that my body works as it was designed to, that I will run and not grow weary, I will walk and not faint, that I will fulfill my calling, that I will walk worthy of the call that God has placed on my life. Those are the decrees that we have today, God, because I wanna see God do all of it. And I believe he's gonna do all of it. And when I look back over the last year of my life and I, I notice, I'm like, wow, there were so many times when needs came up that I didn't even have time to ask God about them. And they were met. And the Holy Spirit quickened to me. That's what it means to seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of that stuff. I just, oh God, you got this. Something comes up, you got a need, God? Yeah, you see this? Yeah, I know you're working on it. He's got it. Maybe for some of you, you've got to see God as El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Do you know him as El Shaddai? He is the God of more than enough. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. If you just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe you don't know God like this, this, this God that I'm talking about. You know, I spoke last year about God being Yahweh. And that means he is the compassionate, merciful gracious God. Maybe you haven't known that part of God in your life. Maybe the tragedies, the heartbreaks, the setbacks that you've been through in your life have prevented you, have limited your belief about who God is. The sad thing is people are human. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that God wished they wouldn't do. But God can't override people's wills just like he can't override yours. The will is such a beautiful thing. But God is merciful and gracious and kind and compassionate. And he's got still things for you to do in this life. With your talents, your gifts, your abilities. And with everything you've been through in your life. With him at your side. It makes the impossible possible. But it's your choice. He never forces anybody to do anything. But he says, if you will choose me, I will come and walk with you. I'll come and live with you. I'll come and dream with you. And then one day when you step over into eternity, you'll be with him. 
Oh, a love like you've never known. A peace like you've never known. This world is but a blink in the eye of eternity. Jesus sent his one and only son to die for you. Wow. He knew what was coming. He knew that people would be sinful, that people would hate him, that people would turn their backs on him. But he sent his son anyway, just in case, just in case one of you would turn to him and say, I don't know everything, but I believe you love me. So I'm going to choose you, Jesus. I'm going to choose you. If that's you today, just raise your hand. It's only me and the angels watching. It's only the angels in heaven watching, waiting to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. If you're not sure if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, the whole of heaven has turned and stopped and is watching and is waiting. It's your moment. It's just you and God. Just raise your hand wherever you are. I'm going to say a prayer. And God's going to hear the words come out of your mouth that you chose him. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can I have my ministry team come forward, please? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you and you want us to pray with you one-on-one, -on -one, I'd like you to make your way down to one of the prayer team. Maybe you've got more questions and you want them answered, or maybe you want to talk something through or pray with them. Then I want you to come down and just pick one of the prayer people, a gentleman with a gentleman, lady with a lady, and just talk with them, pray with them. Don't let this moment go. God is talking to you. If you haven't had that next step, you know, Jesus left the earth and he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be baptized in fire and power, power and fire with the, with the language of heaven. If you haven't received your heavenly language and you'd like that, then come down and pray with one of our people. If you need healing, if you, if you need somebody to stand with you for whatever you're trusting God for, please come down and see one of our ministry team uh, right now, okay? We're going to dismiss the service. If you have children, please go collect them. We went long. I apologize. So please, if you have children in Children's Church, go get them first. My prayer team will still be here. Otherwise, thank you people for coming out. Go home, write your goals, write down your decrees with the Lord. We'll see you at P3. It's going to be powerful. And then next week, 10 a.m. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.